to Humans of Magic. I'm your host, James Sue. Every episode, I try and deconstruct a notable personality from the world of Magic the Gathering. The game is only the starting point. This is a show about understanding the situations, goals, and challenges that my guests face. If you've ever wanted to know what's going on in the minds of some of the best in the world and what's truly driving them to excel, then you've come to the right place. Before we get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself. I've been a competitive Magic player for a long time. I recently wrote a book about my own experiences with the game called Magic the Addiction. After much soul-searching and reflection, I've climbed out of the darkness. Now I want to study how other players view the game, and that's where Humans of Magic comes in. Now, let's talk about this week's show. My guest this week is Mr. Wilson Hunter of The Brainstorm Show. The Brainstorm Show is a great podcast about the world of competitive legacy, and I've enjoyed their content for a very long time. Wilson is one of three co-hosts on the show, and he's a big reason why the show is so successful. Wilson is a father, a legacy format expert, and a hard worker when it comes to all aspects of life. He's played a wide variety of decks over the years, and is currently in love with the evil deck known as Miracles. But I give him some credit because he used to pilot Storm, and talks about going back to it from time to time. So Wilson, if you're listening, I'm waiting for your triumphant return to beating folks with Tendrils of Agony. All joking aside, there's a couple of themes we touch on in this episode that you may find interesting. First of all, Wilson is a parent. Being a father means budgeting time for a game like Magic, and it's a very different ballgame when you can't play 24-7. Secondly, Wilson is very hard on himself. He doesn't play a lot of Magic tournaments, but when he does, he prepares a ton for each one, and he takes losses hard. Now, mind you, he ends up doing well in a lot of them. That's why you might recognize his name from a few Grand Prix Top 8s. But he's incredibly hard on himself, nonetheless. This is simply a part of his personality. And if you struggle with this, then Wilson's perspective might be valuable for you. Last but not least, Wilson talks about the process of podcasting with two great friends that he's grown up with, and the challenges of putting out a quality product. So yes, lots of food for thought along the way. Not to mention, Wilson's just an all-around great guy to talk to. So let's get right to it. Wilson, man, how's it going? Hey, James, it's pretty good. Uh, it's bright and early here in Tennessee, so did not get many hours of sleep last night, but that's that's okay. That's been normal for me a little bit lately, so about to get on the road after this. But this is an awesome way to start the day, being able to talk to you and talk about magic. So normally not able to do that, so pretty excited. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. Uh, I guess for us to talk one on one about about what's been going on with you, and uh, you know, you're someone who. I've always admired because uh, your podcast, your work, and also uh, your results on the Magic Circuit, they're really impressive, and I understand that you're primarily a legacy player, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's been my favorite format since probably about 2010. So, I mean, I'll, I'll play mostly everything, but legacy for me is just sort of the, the timeless format where if, if work 
gets heavy for a while or, you know, just family stuff, everything like that. You know, legacy is always there. I mean, it's definitely a changing format, but it's not something that you have to constantly, you don't have to get like a whole new standard deck. You know, it's not like standard where you have to get a whole new deck every like two weeks or whatever just to stay competitive on the circuit. Um, and you can really spend some time mastering a deck and then come back to it in a couple months and it's probably still pretty reasonable. So, so yeah, but yeah, Legacy's been my favorite format for a while and uh, I really like the uh, the complexity of it and I, I like, I, f- I personally feel that it, it has sort of a high ceiling where if you spend a ton of time trying to master it, that generally translates over into better results for you. Um, in a way that, you know, that's true for all magic, but I think that it's even more accentuated in Legacy, um, just because of all the decisions that the format provides. And uh, if I may just backtrack a little bit, it sounds like it's pretty hard for you to get a solid eight hours of sleep. <laughs> Is that right? Like, you're, it's pretty early for you, so I was, and, and it seems like you're, you're pretty used to this uh, routine-wise. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, last night was a little even, it was, was a little more extreme. I, I think I only got like four or something, but... Every uh, Wednesday night, I play some soccer, and that's sort of like my nice physical outlet, and sometimes it's just, I don't know, I I just was sort of laying there, I was just completely dead, but I couldn't go to sleep for a while, you know, I was doing some work, did a little bit of work, but honestly, I just really couldn't go to sleep because of feeling dead from soccer, so, but yeah, in general, lately, just because of the amount of work I've been doing and some family stuff, um, haven't been getting a ton of sleep, but that's all right. So it's the kind of thing where your body sort of starts to get used to it and you just sort of start to get into marathon mode for a while. And, you know, I don't, I don't really notice a ton after a while. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty, that sounds like you're kind of four hours of sleep is, uh, something that you, you're getting more used to. Yeah, that sounds, that's sort of depressing, but maybe, maybe in this season of life, I am a little bit used to it. And, uh, I, I have a two and a half year old daughter, so I think that uh, when she was an infant, that completely changed uh, sleep schedule in a way that, you know, even though even if it's not like it was then, it just sort of hasn't come back since that point where I, I don't even know if I'd be able to, you know, lay down for a solid eight or nine hours or something. So, you know, being a parent and parents out there listening to the podcast, I know that there are some uh, other magic buddies that I have that will listen to our podcast that are parents too. And I, I think that that's something that uh, that they'll get to. So. so it's been two and a half years of not getting eight hours of sleep. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I don't even know that most of that is not, I wouldn't say, because of uh, my daughter. I think that that phase sort of ends, you know, half a year to one year in of uh, having to wake up during the night for her and everything. But it sort of, for me at least, it did sort you know, I guess it did something to my internal clock where it's just, you know, it sort of trained my body to not need as much sleep as I felt like I did before, um, which is actually good because you know I I operate at weird hours of the night and the day, and but I'm a morning and night person. I've struggled the most from like three to five p.m. Um, but because of that, I get a ton of work done, you know, late at night in the morning, and that just sort of affects the sleep schedule. But but hey, this yeah. is. It sounds like you've got the best and or the worst of both worlds, <laughs> depending how you look at it. Yeah, exactly. Something yeah. Like that. So there's so, so listen. There's so much I want to talk about. Uh, I, I'm really excited to like talk to you about a whole bunch of things. I think it would be good to just kind of start from level set from the beginning. I mean, I know you kind of online and you have a a hit legacy podcast. We'll get into that in a bit. But I want to know more about Wilson Hunter the person. 
So can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, like where are you from, your background, maybe your parents, anything you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up, I spent most of my childhood in central Virginia in Charlottesville. Um, I have one younger sister. My dad is, uh, he is and was like a traveling sales rep. So he he worked very hard and he was, he was always on the road and stuff. But I... The house that I grew up in uh, for most of my life was on a farm, a uh, pretty rural setting, so maybe 20-25 minutes outside of the city of Charlottesville. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I went to a really small school, a very small rural school before going to a, a probably more normal experience high school that a lot of people have. So I do think that growing up, you know, I probably had a, I think there are probably a lot of people out that out there that have grown up in rural America or rural somewhere, you know, whatever country they live in. But I do think it's a different experience than a lot of my good buddies uh, have had. And there's just, you know, some things that go with that that are pretty that, – that change your life a little bit. But, yeah, so – so and, and now, you know, I went to Appalachian State University uh, in North Carolina. And now I live in Johnson City, Tennessee. So I moved here for the job when I got married and everything and been here for five years. Nice. Uh, what about – your mom what does she do so right now my mom is a uh, she designs gardens for people and she is she when I was growing up she was a stay-at-home mom and she was an awesome mom and uh, a lot of my you know sort of desire to solve puzzles and do some of these things it really came from her sort of uh, fostering a lot of that so there's a lot of really cool stories of things that she would do for me like I remember one time, this is just like a very specific memory, and there's a lot of stuff like this, but she just gave me this huge blank book. It was like 200 blank pages, and she knew that I really liked like the Amazon and all these Amazon creatures and stuff, and so she started like basically filling it out with me as like a field guide for like the Amazon, and I was like a, t I was like a really you know young guy. I was maybe like six years old. Um, but it was cool because I ended up, you know, like basically making this book uh, very simple, you know, but of like all these like creatures I liked and all these things. And looking back on that, I think I took that kind of thing for granted, but that was just such a cool, you know, way of getting me involved creatively and in, in, in learning. Right. So I really credit my mom for, for really fostering uh, a desire to learn that really carried over. Um, to you know my hobbies now and and what I what I enjoy now so you know I think it was really great for our family for my mom to be able to stay at home and do a lot of those stuff with me and you know credit both her and my dad for for being great parents growing up. What about your dad? I mean, in terms of his job and uh, I think you said he was a traveling salesman sort of role. Yeah. So yeah, he sold yearbooks to schools and uh, I that is one of the things that I do now. Um, but uh, so, and he, I mean, he was just driving all over the place. He worked long hours, so it's, and it's somewhat seasonal, so we did have a decent amount of time in the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he's just a hardworking guy. That's sort of his personality. So, you know, there's some elements too where my dad like needs to be thinking in steps. He's actually really the opposite of me in a lot of ways. Like oh. he would never, he'd never do something like play magic. So he like has to. You know, if he's not working, he has to be like it's almost like mowing the grass is therapeutic for him, and that is just the opposite of anything I would ever enjoy doing. Mm. So, although I think some of it has rubbed off on you too, right? I mean, I, I just gotta have the sense that you're, 
you're a hardworking guy, right? Like even when it comes to you know, you just mentioned um, you know working around the clock and and things like that, and and also the discipline to play a card game. So I I imagine maybe there's some some part of it that rubbed off on on you, like his his qualities. That's a good point. I mean, I think that that might be, you know, maybe the parenting cultural elements. I don't, I don't feel like we naturally think the same, but I definitely think, you know, the way that my life is now, I mean, I could definitely credit a lot of those values uh, to him for sure, because it does look pretty similar, you know? So I think that, uh, personality profile wise, like the Myers Briggs thing, you know, I'm an INTJ. My mom is the same. My dad is something completely opposite letters. I don't know what he is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right that, you know, I think that I was definitely affected by both my parents in different ways, for sure. Right. And you mentioned that you grew up on the farm, so you must be pretty good with your hands, right? Eh, well, it's it's like, that's sort of like a... Was that like a stereotype that I, I'm, I'm conjuring up? <laughs> well, we did, yeah, we did a lot of stuff maybe that somebody who didn't grow up on a farm wouldn't have done, but like we didn't have tons of like cattle or anything like that. Like we had a we lived on a horse farm and some people kept their horses at our house. Um, you know, I have some memories of like you know, working on a chicken coop with my dad or doing some various gardening activities and we had chickens and stuff, but it really the farm aspect was not a business type aspect of a farm. So like I had some friends that really did work, like actually live on a legitimate working farm, you know, with like tons of cattle and stuff like that. Um, so it was definitely a different experience than that. So I guess when I say farm, I guess to some people that sounds like a farm to people who actually grew up on, on a farm, like, you know, with, with, with cows and all of, all of these things, uh, it probably wasn't like that experience, but but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had a great, uh, I did a lot of outdoors types things when I was a kid because of that. So, you know, there's lots of acres and lots of places to play. So a decent amount of where we live too, there's a ton of woods and all that sort of like behind where the pastures were. And my sister and I would, would, would play a ton outside. So I think that, that was, that was a great area to, you know, sort of foster creativity for sure. So what kind of stuff did you like to do when you were a kid or maybe through high school? Was it like just being in the woods or hang, hanging out or like what kinds of stuff were you into? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, going back to the, the book thing that my, my mom sort of did for me, there's right. a ton of stuff like that. I mean, you know, outdoors, indoors. I, I really think that as a, as a young kid, when my mom was still, you know, when your mom's still very involved, uh, in some of the things that you do, I think started some of the interests that I then went and did on my own. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of it was outside. I mean, I remember like building this huge fort that was really poorly built, but you know, just tons of boards nailed to trees and stuff like that. And you know, that kind of stuff was really fun. So yeah, I mean, I really, I really did enjoy doing a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, and I, I absolutely loved uh, board games, things like that. I remember at a very young age, I really loved Axis and Allies. I don't know if people out there have played that or remember that. I think that's one of the more famous uh, board games. But yeah, that was one of my first uh, introductions to the game. I guess before that, you know, like Risk. Uh, but Axis and Allies, I guess, was my first, more a little more complicated thing for a young guy uh, that really got me into like, wow, it's some of these games are so deep and they're so cool. Um, it was really hard to like nail down my dad to get him to play that game with me, but you know I got some friends that did that, and uh, 
an uncle who's a very cerebral dude who really loved playing that game. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I had some interests across the board. I, I got, I got really into sports. You know, my dad was more of a sports guy. So I think I got exposed to a lot of those things from him. Um, really love soccer. You know, like I said, I'm still playing soccer. It's a good, for me, that's the best way to get exercise. I really, it's really hard for me to do lifting weights or stuff like that. That's super repetitive. Now I just really like having, you know, a competitive goal when I'm, when I'm playing. So, so I really did, you know, I, I liked sports a lot growing up. Um, baseball, soccer, basketball, all that stuff. So, mm, very nice. So you played the board games, you played Axes and Allies, which is a classic, by the way. I also <laughs> also enjoy the game a great deal. At what point did you actually find Magic: The Gathering? So, flash forward a, a little bit to middle school, and I guess we'll, we can get in s- more into more of some things that I guess maybe you know shaped some of. Uh, you yeah, know, some sure. social elements and stuff like that. So, yeah, middle school for me was really tough. Um, I think a, a part of the way that I grew up with some of the things that I was doing, a lot of these things were a little more introverted. You know, like I didn't really grow up in a neighborhood setting where I could just run down the road and, you know, be part of a gang of, you know, like five kids or something like that. So going to, to middle school um, – and you know my elementary school is actually similar. A lot of a, a lot of rural folks out there that went to my elementary school, but middle school was pretty rough. Um, you know, I felt like I was a little bit of a weird kid. I'm, I'm still a weird big kid now. Yeah, we all are, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah, um, but yeah, so magic. I I found out about it in middle school, and I really just started just trying. Like no one really taught me how to play the game for a while. I really just like had some cards and I just tried to see if I could use them in some way with like another kid in middle school who didn't have a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were playing some game that wasn't magic, but we were playing with magic cards and I think that was really fun. I really liked the art and all the and all that kind of stuff. So I remember getting the Deckmasters uh, set, the, the Finkel versus Garfield Deckmasters box set for Christmas one year. Um, and I think that was that was a big point at which you know I got those cards. I maybe I got some more cards here and there, and I really started to to get more involved. And then at some point, I don't really remember exactly when that is. At some point, I really did start to figure out the rules. Uh, and I don't. I, I it's weird. It's like this whole I don't really know how. <laughs> so I, don't, I can't I can't really tell you. But there's there had to have been people that I had run into or something like that. But I really didn't understand the game well until high school. So all that being said, you know, middle school, I probably was playing the game like a completely different game, not even Magic. Um, But it was cool because it provided an outlet for me. And, and, you know, there there were a few things like that. But so Magic was, even at the very beginning phases, a really big part of my life at probably one of uh, the more difficult times in my life in middle school. So... Mm You know, so I thought. I mean, it was it was it was cool. It was a it was a cool way to to get out and do stuff. And I still I remember the guy that I you know was playing with, and I think that he probably had a rough middle school experience too. So we didn't really talk to anybody else outside of each other. Right. Um. So. But yeah. No, it sounds great. I mean, it's kind of a way for you and your friend to to bond over over an activity, and it, it sounds like you played what's seemed to be magic, but with different rules yeah. and. We all we all kind of did that as we started, right? Just kind of figure things out. Right, right. Yeah, and 
take me through like you you mentioned earlier that you went to you went to college and how how did how did magic kind of evolve as a game for you as you as you got older or as you got a little sure. bit older well if it's okay I'll, I'll bridge the gap a little bit with the high school stuff so mm-hmm. just because when i was in high school um people might know paul michael who plays a lot of magic and he's a co-host on our podcast um and he became one of my best buddies in high school and i i had a great high school experience my high school was a good school it had it, you know it had good academic opportunities which helped me um, have a have a great outlet and I think in general too you know later in high school people start to grow up a little bit and actually embrace you know different groups of people and people that are different and mm-hmm. stuff like that and I know that's not true everywhere but you know that was sort of my experience so okay. I, high, high school was actually you know a, a pretty positive experience especially you know once getting into like 11th and 12th grade and stuff like that as I started to get older um, but yeah I mean Paul Michael was one of my best buddies in high school and he had played Magic at a very young age. Um, he actually knew how to play the game very well. I think he was on the, what is it called, Junior Super, super Series? What, what, what is that called? Do you uh, I think it's a Junior Super League or Super Series, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he was he was like competitive at the age of like nine in the game. Or oh, wow, so, okay. <laughs> so Paul, knew, he knew all the rules. He had these old decks that were all Tier 1 old standard decks. Yeah. You know, like he had like the parallax wave deck and oh, yeah. psychotog upheaval stuff, and yeah. this green stompy deck from Urza Saga with Masticors and guys cradles and stuff. So, so this was like a new world for you, right? Because I mean, this guy yeah. is like essentially a master, uh, relatively speaking, and he's sounds like a super smart, smart dude. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I vague, I remember like sort of just whipping out our cards because we found out that we both played magic and you know he had these decks that were obviously like these tuned decks meant to accomplish this very specific goal and i remember just like whipping out my uh deck masters tin with my motley crew of you know half deck masters cards half cards that i just liked and jammed in there didn't really know how they worked right um but yeah all that being said you know, Paul really helped me learn the game and understand the game. And in high school, we started going to FNMs, and neither of us had like any, you know, disposable income as high school students. So we we basically got really scrappy to to get some sort of standard deck that we shared, and we would sort of take turns playing it at FNM. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I guess I haven't even answered your question yet. So you want me flash forward to college? I ended up uh, so at Appalachian State. Uh, I started playing FNM. It was a great way for me to meet a lot of people in Boone. Um, it was something I started looking forward to every week. But yeah, I mean, I, I quickly started getting like I wanted to be competitive and wanted to build good decks and wanted to win when I was at App State. FNM, you know, I dove into that pretty quickly. So I'm pretty sure I went to FNM the first week I was there. I really liked the crowd, um, started making some good friends through that. So some of my first friends at App State were, you know, magic players. And for me, I mean, something sort of changed in my head. I started to really enjoy building competitive decks. They weren't like, you know, net deck competitive decks. Like I wasn't trying to go get, you know, the tier one deck that a pro was playing. I was trying to, to, you know, build my own deck that could beat those decks and, you know, sometimes that was successful. Sometimes it wasn't. You know, uh, often was not in the beginning. Um, but for me, I mean, it was it very quickly became one of my favorite thing to do in college. You know, 
outside of the normal stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, why do you think that was that it became like the it? It sounds like it became a like your number one thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a really good question. I'm not exactly sure why I went into it so heavily. I guess it's because you know that was my first experience living on my own, so I didn't really have the introvert outlet. You know, I didn't go back home to a, a lot of space where I could go do something else that was introverted and creative. So I think I probably just gravitated towards something that I was comfortable in and knew, and that was playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wasn't into the really heavy socializing scene, even though, you know, I did. I went I went out some with friends, and I did meet some people outside of Magic. But in general, that just really wasn't me, I don't think. So I was, like, really looking for something else to do with my time, you know, in college that I really enjoyed. So I really went really heavily into Magic. I mean, I remember, you know, and a lot of people can probably relate to this, but, like, on the non-F&M days, I would, like, you know, be on the forums, be putting my cards together. Magic really became more of a every day it was somehow involved in my life, and that was a new experience. You know, like high school, we didn't think about it every day. I mean, there were some weeks where we would play test at school during independent study or lunch or whatever, um, but it wasn't every single day. And at college, it really became it's on my mind every day, and I'm doing something with it. And I think that's a big reason why I just kept on getting more and more competitive to the point where I wanted to start to maybe travel to some of these events with some friends. So Yeah. Now I know from our past conversations, uh, Wilson, that you mentioned that you're hyper competitive, right? So maybe more competitive than the average person. Um, yeah. did you start honing this hyper competitiveness at this point in time or did it did it come a little bit later? I'm just trying to understand sort of or, or have you always been hyper competitive in everything you do? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely what it is. That's just a personality trait I have, and there's there's some positives and there's some negatives about that. So, And I think people are competitive for different reasons. I've never been somebody who's competitive at beating, like, the human that is in front of me. Mm. You know, I, I spend very little time, like, focusing on them. I'm just, I'm extremely competitive about winning or, or beating a puzzle. Um, and, and I just, yeah, I think it's got to be something, it's a mix between probably the the games and activities I was exposed to as a kid and also just my personality, you know. So you're saying that even when you were playing Risk, like even way back, you were competitive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's jokes in my family about this kind of thing, about how, yeah, I mean, I'll never let, you know, even as a little kid, I would never let the people playing game with me say, let's go take a break. Or I, I would just <laughs> make me really unhappy. Yeah. We, we, like, had to sit down and play, like, the full Axis and Allies or else I was really... <laughs> not happy with the situation um so yeah so yeah i think magic in you know my friends will be able to tell you that i'm like really strangely extreme person and part of that is you know whenever i get into something like an activity i take it to do the extreme of that so i think that you know being really competitive you know i just end up inevitably get really competitive in whatever activity it is that i'm doing so but i think the key distinction there is definitely what people think competitive means um, cause it really, like even in sports, you know, I'm just thinking about playing soccer last night. Like it's really not focused on the people that I'm playing against. Um, and you know, we had some trash talkers on the other team last night and stuff. And those guys seem so focused on 
beating you and being better than you. Yeah, getting you off the game, like it's a personal thing, maybe. Yeah, it's like really personal to them. And that just couldn't be any more different from the way that I feel about it. And it's not even an active thing. Like I can't really help not feeling that way, just like I can't help being, you know, really wanting to win and beat the game. So in all these things, I see that I am trying to beat the game and in magic you know there might there happens to be a human pilot for the other deck but i really the way that i'm viewing it is i'm trying to beat the other person's deck have you ever been competitive against in a in a non-human scenario like if you're playing just a a single player video game or something like that or is it always like a human or an opponent an actual opponent behind it yeah, I, I've liked some of the video games in the past growing up. I didn't get as into that as some people. The best thing I can compare this to is school and academics. I got extremely competitive with myself of just trying to um, make good grades and sort of take 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 it to the next level in that. And that never really had to do with anybody else. So it really just had to do with, you know, I didn't, you know, I got a... 80 on this test, you know, how can I do a ton better next time? And it really has nothing to do with what anybody else is doing. So in that way, like I really liked school um, for a long time because of the competitive aspect of it. I really liked feeling like I could get better. And if I wasn't doing well, you know, what can I do to do very well and, uh, and sort of conquer that class, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. And it's, an, it's a wonderful quality to have because it, it sounds like you're, you're motivating yourself, right? Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I think there are some positives. I think just like anything else, you know, there are definitely some negatives. I think I can become obsessive with some of the things, like wanting to win, you know, not, not necessarily wanting to beat the other person, but wanting to... I think there might be a perfectionist aspect of it, which is for anybody who's also that way knows that that is not always or even usually a good thing, a good trait to have. So, you know, I think it's like the desire to never think like, like a, like a B is definitely not enough. Like even getting like an A minus on a class, you feel like you're missing something. And sometimes I think that may have taken away from, my enjoyment of other things. So. Okay, so I'll go ahead and ask: uh, <laughs> what, Has there ever been a time that maybe in your in your past in your memory that you thought maybe you took something a little bit too far in this realm? Like it, maybe not even gaming, but just or academics. It could be anything, but where you kind of push yourself, maybe not over the edge, but really darn close to it. Oh, James, I think that I always take it too far. I think that. <laughs> I think that that's... <laughs> I think that's a pretty common element in the things that I do. So, but I mean, that's really subjective. So I think, but I think a lot of people would see what I do and probably say, man, that's pretty extreme. But like in magic right now, you know, I, I think a downside is that I don't get to play a ton. So if I don't have good result, and this is actually, sorry, getting ahead to some of your other questions, but if I don't have a good result in one tournament I go to, because there's not a large sample size, it just is really frustrating. And there's no, there's no immediate way for me to fix that. Mm-hmm. Like there's no tournament the next weekend that I can try to do better at because I really have to sit around for a couple more months or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just the nature of the schedule, me playing the game and, and all that. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of frustration that it can cause. Um, and you can also miss a lot of other stuff. So it's like if I get super honed in on one thing, uh, you know, I'm definitely missing missing some other elements. So I think there's always maybe a social element that I've missed by doing some of these things. So I'm not like 
in these huge friend groups of people that are just social, you know, going out to eat all the time and socializing, hanging out, stuff like that. Because I'm usually focused on on beating some game somewhere, like or you know, in school was trying to make good grades or whatever it was. So there's definitely downsides of all those things for sure. Yeah, and I just have to say that you are not alone. I think for the longest time I was pretty much in the same camp. Like I would be the kind of person who when you play magic with me, I wasn't even making small talk because I was so focused on the game itself rather than the pleasantries or the community. I, it took me a very long time to, I guess, to, to shift away from that. And I'm not even saying that shifting away is the right thing. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that I can, I can definitely <laughs> relate to that a little bit. So, Very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you start playing more competitive magic and, and you're very competitive. So... How did you handle losing at that time? Like, because everybody, when they start playing competitively, there's going to be a fair share of losing. How did you handle that when you got started? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a, not a super emotional person, so I've I, I feel like I look at losses in games somewhat logically. But if anything, it's frustra like I get this frustration that I can't fix it immediately. I, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but like, you know, if I lose a game, I'm not like all frustrated at variance. You know, I just like in the same way that I see sometimes, sometimes people get really emotional about it. Um, it's more of a, like a general frustration that I can't have a large enough sample size sometimes to beat that variance if I still feel like what, I, my, what I'm doing is a good approach. So I think my number one frustration is if I feel, if I still feel the end of a tournament that I didn't do well at, that I made some decent deck building decisions and I don't do well at the tournament, that's like the ultimate frustration for me um, because it's almost like dead gummit. You know, it's like I don't have an opportunity to go out and really prove to myself, you know, that this is right because I just, I don't, you know, and and that's a lot of stubbornness too because I'm thinking that I'm right in losing and you know I'm sure sometimes I'm wrong in just being very stubborn mm -hmm. um, but yeah I mean I think that's the biggest thing for me is you know I never got like oh man I'm just so mad for losing or emotional mad at my opponent or something like that it's, it's more of just like just a little bit of a pent up frustration of you know it's like feels incomplete almost if that makes any sense it feels more like proving something to yourself rather than again it's not personally directed at the opponent right but it's more like i have a feeling that this is the optimal build and you know if i could run it back 100 more times i think i'm probably right but in this particular sample size of one it didn't work out that's what it sounds like to me yeah definitely and i, I mean the important thing to harp on is that it really doesn't have to do with proving it for anybody else. It really does have to do with like the process for me and the pinnacle of, of sort of the process is the, the thing that I have created is successful and that's my goal. And if that happens, it's like this internal, I can take a deep breath and I feel like I've accomplished something. And if it doesn't happen, it's like there's this piece that's missing that like, drives me more but sometimes it's frustrating if I can't you know go out there and do that immediately so yeah um but yeah I mean I think the most important thing and you know I think it's hard it's not like I don't think that this this is me being better than anybody else or anything it really is just my personality of being I guess more in in internalizing thing maybe being more introverted I don't know what it is uh but I've never really cared a ton about and actually I, I can actually tell you where some of this came from okay um and sorry this is a little bit of a 
going off to the side here. No, but... go ahead, man. This is this is your time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that uh, for me, you know, having some of those difficult childhood social situations where I really spent, you know, a, a significant amount of time not really having good friends growing up and having a somewhat difficult middle school experience and same in elementary school to some degree. Um, you know, my parents were always telling me, you know, not to care what people think. You know, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. All this stuff. Same thing that you know other parents will tell their kids in those situations and all that. But it was really extreme for me. I mean, I was, I was hearing that every day, and I really had to convince myself that to survive at a young age. Mm-hmm. And I think it became part of my core in a way that. I didn't even really, you know, like now it's not something I'm actively trying to do, but I think just part of, it became like a value sort of instilled in me um, that like today, if I wanted to change that, I probably couldn't. And there's actually, there's a lot of negatives that go with that too. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, and you don't think about this all the time, but if you, if you do care what people think about you, you'll do some things that are probably net positive or, or nice things for people and I'm not saying that I don't have empathy um, but I do think that for whatever reason I mean I think that that feeling of don't worry about what people think you know really drives drives me in a lot of aspects of life and especially when I'm playing the game right like on a, on a very on a very extreme level that's sort of hard to explain I think no I but. mean it goes both ways right because I think it sounds like you've sort of created a, a protection I don't know if it's right to say like protection mechanism and and that also affects how you how you how you view others and how you treat others right yeah I think that that's fair I mean I think that some of it is learned like I'm trying to go back and you know sort of point out to myself you know like where would that have come from and then I also think some of it probably is just personality that was you know inherent in my you know general person traits that I have. So I think it's like a mix of both of those things. Um, so and that's not to say, I mean, people who know me, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not like shut off from the world or anything like that. And I really do care a lot about people, uh, you know, on the scale. I'm, I've, I care a ton about the small group of people that I really care a lot about. Yeah. But, but then have sometimes have a hard time with like large groups of people uh, having lots of empathy towards them. So I'm like extremely loyal to the people that I really like. And because of that, I think that I, you know, loyalty is an extremely important trait for me and the relationships I have with other people. So. Right. Right. It's, it's, it is about quality over quantity. And I don't also, I don't think you're alone in that aspect. So, yeah. yeah. You know, having said that, I mean, you're, you're, you're very hard on yourself at times. The fact is you've been doing quite well in terms of the, the, the competition and, and the tournaments that you played in, right? I think you have two legacy top eights at, at GPs, and uh, I think most recently I saw your name in at uh, at the legacy GP this year, and you also had uh, kind of uh, some other things going on, like other top eights, right? I think uh, SCG Invitational and all that stuff. So, I mean, you're not you're not doing half bad. So, whatever it is, it seems to be kind of working for you. Despite you not being a grinder, right? You're not going to every tournament every every weekend or every other weekend. I mean, you got a family, you have other things going on. But the tournaments that you do play in, you you do pretty well, right? Well, I appreciate that. I don't think my results sound, you know, remotely impressive when you have some of these other guests on your show, like PV and Jerry T and stuff like that. Like this is almost a joke. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, for me, the the few tournament results I do have in Legacy, uh, you know, have been just sort of the the pinnacle of of my competitive drive. You know, it just for me internally, it just felt very good to reach some of those, um, I guess, points. So I haven't I haven't taken down any of these events, and that's really my my goal is to you know like win a Legacy GP or something like that. Um, also, you know, I talked to some of these other legacy guys like like Jarvis and, you know, we have a very friendly competition. Like he's top eight at a couple legacy GPs. You know, we have one coming up. He doesn't even know if he can go to that next one. But we're, we're saying like, you know, no one's ever top eighted three legacy GPs, we don't think. And, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to be the between us? Like who's going to be the first person to do that? It's <laughs> sort of like a friendly kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's fun because I think that, you know. That kind of thing is sort of a cool way to drive both of us, um, but but yeah. So, but yeah, and then uh, the the SCG Invitationals. I had a blast playing in those. I don't do that anymore because of some of the changes. Um, but yeah, I was able to top make top four of one of them, top sixteen of a couple, and I just really enjoyed playing in those events. So, my absolute favorite Magic events are Legacy GPS and the old Star City Games Invitationals that were half Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different now, right? You're, you're saying you're saying they've changed. Yeah, now they're half modern, half standard, and actually next year I think they're going to completely change. Uh, it sounds like it might might be a cool change. I, I really don't know, but regardless of what it is, I really just don't like playing a modern standard event. Uh, I have no no problem with those formats. Like I like the game of Magic, mm-hmm. um, but really what drove me before was being able to play Legacy, and because there's like one format, not two. I did spend some time trying to come up with a good standard deck for the event, but man, I just I just really don't <laughs> like the mo- the modern format personally. So I haven't gone to those since they've changed over. Right, like you said, Legacy seems to have a lot of interesting decisions and and uh, possibilities. Right, so I think that that's uh, you're you're probably sticking with the right format. Uh, of course, I'm extremely biased here, but I, yeah. I, I think you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, Legacy's a blast. And also, like, you know, the friends that I've made in Legacy, uh, that's been really cool. It's it's more of a uh, – it's a subculture within Magic of people that are extremely passionate, passionate about one specific thing. Um, I think Legacy players are more likely to produce uh, – I don't know, that's, that sounds a little sort of elitist. But there's a lot of Legacy players, I guess what I'm trying to say, that produce really cool content. Like, the source has all these really active people. Uh you know, there are people I talk to that are really just playing Legacy day in and day out, wherever they are around the world, and I feel like it's just a really cool community to be involved with and talk to those people, um, you know, and learn what they're doing. So, I, I mean, I really like it more so than just you know, general your like your general Magic uh, talk or general Magic content. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if I can just go into the finishes that you had, I mean. If you could look back at some of those top eights, like if you could tell somebody who's like, "Hey Wilson, I want to have a shot at top eighting a, a GP or an event like that." I mean, what what's your preparation process, and what how do you how do you mentally approach these sort of events, either preparation wise or? Yeah, well, so it's it was a little different. It was a lot different when I was in college and and than it is now. Um, but I can sort of talk about both those things. Sure. Uh, Legacy. Grand Prix Providence in 2011 I top aided and that was just 
you know, that was the first event that we decided as me and my small friend group, like we're going to drive to Providence, Rhode Island. And it was like an insane slog up the East coast. It ended up being like a 20 hour drive or something. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had only gone to much closer regional star city events and that kind of thing. Um, I think that was my first Grand Prix I played in. I've only played in like eight, but I think that was the first one. Mm-hmm. So it was like, for me, it was like a big, big experience, you know, it was a little bit different than like the star city opens. Um, but the preparation t- towards it, you know, even if it was my first Grand Prix, the preparation, I mean, we were really, really prepared. Uh, and I got, I don't know how this happened, but I got super fortunate to be at a school with some other really good legacy players at Appalachian state and Boone, North Carolina. Like you never, you would never think that, but, uh, it's a hotbed, man. (laughs) it's it's really it's actually really crazy and actually i think that part of it must be that we sort of all came out of the woodworks because of each other Uh you know like i think if for any one of us if we were the only one we probably wouldn't be legacy player you know but it's it's almost like similar people or with similar interests came together and everybody sort of became a lot better at legacy because of each other so i think the collaboration was huge for me um Philip Braverman, Mike Braverman, and our friend Dylan Squire, who doesn't play a ton of competitive magic anymore, but was really good. So, you know, and everybody knows some players like that. Like, like Dylan is like, nobody will know who he is outside of our friend group because he really just played in a couple events, but he's, he's so good. Uh-huh. You know, that's the thing about, that's the thing about magic is there are some really good players out there that you never heard of, uh, just because we harp on the, the big names in the community and stuff who are still extremely good at the game. So I felt really lucky to be able to have met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and the Bravermans. So like we had, we would go to somebody's house and just, you know, jam tons of legacy. Four of us, we'd build tons of decks and it got more, we were honing our skills more and more and more. And we we're really taking it to like higher and higher levels of competitiveness. Those guys like Phil is really competitive. Um, if anybody knows him, so like in testing, like really competitive, not in a negative way, but just that like everybody wants to win, like for fun. That's fun for us to want to win, even when we're testing. Right. There's no off switch, right? It's just all all the time. Absolutely. Um, and because of that, I think that we, instead of just sort of jamming a bunch of games and not really analyzing the situation, which I think you could do in testing, it's like we kept taking it to the next level. So by the by the time I went to GP Providence, you know, I th- there's a lot of good Magic players out there, but I was actually surprised that people. It seemed like people didn't do the same thing we did, and I I never really realized that mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it just kind of felt normal or natural for you, uh, for your group at least. Yeah, and I think I really hyped up the event to be like, you know, it was, it was my first Grand Prix and. I was thinking like everybody out there is going to have done it. <laughs> everybody was going to be a ringer or like a, a grinder or something. Yeah, and, and like even people that were, you know, grinders, you know, they don't necessarily play this legacy deck in the same way that we played our legacy decks. So, right. I mean, looking back on it, I felt like we actually had a big advantage, you know, and most every round, just the way that we prepared for it, um, but didn't really go into it knowing that. Um, so flash forward now, I think that because of family and everything like that, the biggest preparation I have that's no longer just jamming tons of games with my college buddies and stuff like that is thinking about the decks, planning the decks uh, as I drive, 
I think that that's been huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the like active thought that is actually getting you somewhere in your analysis or like taking you to a new opinion or a next step is really huge in preparation. I think that you can just think about something all day and like never change your opinion on it or never get to the next level. But if you're spending a lot of time actually making changes, realizing why you want to make those changes, even when you're not playing games, you're sort of your brain is sort of building to the next level and it, you're sort of like honing this thing uh, over and over and over again, even without having to test it out and play games. So yeah, it's great you mentioned Jarvis um, just now, like a while back, because. When I talked to him, I mean, he had kind of the same process, really, was that he was talking about not really playing Legacy 40 hours a week or whatever, but just because he had built up such a, a kind of a, a, a wide range of experience with Magic in general that he could actually think about situations and, and think about builds and things like that as opposed to just jamming games or, or playing all the time, you know? Like, so when you were talking about this now... It, it made me think a little little bit about his approach as well, you know? Yeah, and I have just recently gotten to know him a little bit, and I still don't know him super well. Really, it's just more of an online kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're in this legacy chat together, and out of all the people in there, he's one person that it seems like we consistently agree on so many things. And, you know, like in a given situation, I I just think that's sort of interesting. So I don't know him super well, Mm -hmm. uh, but through talking about the game and all this stuff, like he and I are always like, yeah, it it seems like we're on the same page again, or at least, you know, that's sort of what I'm getting out of it, which is sort of cool. So, but, and there's a lot of really great players that are in that chat that are really fun to talk to also. So Mm -hmm. um, some of these miracles guys, um, and I don't, I won't start to go going down the list, but yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, so that, I mean, that's cool to hear that because you know I've never talked talked to him about anything really outside of Magic, but I can just sort of tell that he probably does sort of think similarly. Now I'm wondering if you could think about your own experiences. Are you able to prepare and think about things while you're in the car because you played so much Legacy in the past that you can now do it, or do you think that this can exist kind of autonomously or independently of your past experience? That's a great point, James. I, there's got to be both. You've ha- you have to have a foundation of, of having to feel out how things play out, I think. Um, but I also think there's an element of problem solving where you don't have to play infinite games to get to that point. So, But I think you absolutely have to have some sort of background of trying a lot of different things in Magic before you can just sort of independently start thinking about that stuff. At least me. I mean, there's probably some genius dudes out there who don't have to do that. Um, but yeah, I think for me, the foundation was crucial. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, you talked about a, a number of things, I mean, to, to help you achieve the results, which is sort of problem solving, discussion, high level play testing, where you're treating every game extremely seriously because you have like-minded friends that feel the same way. Um, are there other things you think that have, maybe a, maybe a better way for me to ask this is, are there lessons that you've learned now from playing Magic over so many years that you could actually generalize if you think about it, or maybe even apply to things, stuff that's going on for you outside of Magic? Um, yeah. So, like specifics, or just sort of general, or what do you what are you thinking? Like, uh... yeah, I mean, specific would be good. Okay, so specific things outside of Magic to apply those skills. Um. 
Yeah, I think that I'm working on a few uh, work-related things where I think the similar type of problem-solving process has been really good for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's definitely a specific one. I think that you can, you know, like the business world, tech, all this stuff, there's a ton of things that revolve around the problem solving process. And I think that you can, you can find a lot of interesting ways to be successful just through trying to solve a problem that somebody else hasn't solved. So in a unique way too, right? So for me, that's a big part of magic is trying to say, okay, I can play the stock 75 cards and I can learn how to play it, but I feel like I'm missing a little bit of the potential there because I'm not asking the questions, well, what could I do differently to make this the best? Is there something completely unique out there that's the best approach? And once you explore all those questions, you know, in life, business too, um, if you find something that somebody else hasn't found, you know, there's a lot of times a lot of opportunities to be successful. So yeah, for me, I think that you know, honing those skills in magic, you know, is absolutely, I go through the exact same thought process in some of the work things that I'm doing. I see. I mean, and your problem solving process, like, is there a framework that you always go back to or something that you, you think you could actually generalize? Like, I'm just thinking about problem solving in magic in the context of, you know, how do I how do I create the best build or what's the optimal play in this situation? I mean, I'm wondering if you've thought about how that becomes a framework for you in some way. Yeah, I, so for, um, I guess to get into some specifics, like deck building and we talk, you know, we can get, this can get, be a long conversation, but we do this like sideboard mapping thing where we want to optimize all of our cards across a metagame and I think in my head I'm sort of naturally starting like to weigh a lot of these factors mm -hmm. but you can do it like on a spreadsheet and come up with equations and all this stuff but I think that once you start playing the game enough your brain creates these equations that are able to problem solve mm -hmm. like if you if you get a good idea of how popular some decks are you're basically like you know you, you have your tier one your tier two and all that stuff in your head you're weighing those factors and then if you have your 75 cards, you know, you're giving values to those cards in every single matchup. And my goal for deck building is post-sideboard to always have high values against basically everything um, with the most importance being on the highly played decks in the format. So I think that the number one biggest problem in deck building is people sort of uh, they, they cling to their emotions a little too much and they throw together a lot of cards that whether they realize it or not are there for some emotional reason like of something they lost to of something they think they should just have because they, someone told them that somewhere in an article yeah. um, but then they get down to an event and they've never even thought about their sideboarding before and so they're leaving in you know Terminus against a show and tell deck or something like that and then, and then you look at your deck list and you're like why did I put myself in this position so so for me, deck building to to optimize something is almost like a like a little formula, mm -hmm. and it's not a complicated formula. It's something that you can do in your head, um, but because the format is so complex and there's so many different decks, it gives you a ton to think about. So in order to like to sit down from any opponent at an event, even if they're playing a little bit of a wonky deck, mm -hmm. you can a lot of times still put that deck into a category and be able to say, okay, I feel really good about my approach to this even if i haven't thought about their specific wonky deck i thought about decks like theirs um you know and so i guess for me that's sort of the 
uh, the specific process. People often underestimate how tuning that last bit or understanding how things go in and out of your deck with the sideboard really gives you those edges, right? And I think in a format like Legacy especially, you know, I think that helps, that goes a long way, so. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So I also want to talk about, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of fast-forwarding a little bit here, but you're a family man, I'm going to assume you're trying to be in a responsible adult and all those kind of things. <laughs> How does it change your relationship with with magic i'm not saying that once you become a parent or become a married person it's like a 180 degree turn but i mean it must magic must mean something different to you now than it used to a few years ago so how, how would you describe that oh absolutely well you know there's a lot to talk about with this but i really value magic a lot more than i did before Interesting. because yeah i think some of that is because being of the limits but also you know, being a parent is awesome. It's the best ex- best thing in my life for sure, but it's also, you know, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, you know, because of that, you know, lately with how much I'm working, with trying to be the best dad and husband I can be, you know, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and because of that, I really appreciate having an outlet when I get the chance to have it. And magic has become more and more meaningful in my life. So... You know, I look back on college and magic was a blast, but it was almost like I, I took it for granted a little bit because I could just like, I'm bored. I could like go down the shop, sleeve up a deck, you know, text a friend who's also bored and play magic. Yeah. Now it's not like that. Now it's sort of like a, a rare hole. Like the, our podcast, you know, we haven't put out an episode in a long time just because it's really hard to get everybody together. You know, everybody's got their lives and their jobs and stuff. Um, by the way, we have we. I know you don't want like uh, actually relevant things right now, but our episodes are coming back. So if you're, li- <laughs> if you're listening to that this week, we're coming back soon. It's been a while, but I am happy to hear it, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, so I mean, for me, you know, magic, and it's been a little bit of a battle. You know, I think that I'm, I've been a little tough on myself. Like I've, I've, I've wondered like, is this selfish? You know, like. I'm trying to be a good dad. You know, my daughter's two and a half years old. I don't want to be missing anything in her life to do something that is a hobby just for me. You know, like I don't want to be traveling too much to go play card games when my daughter's growing up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's definitely these like deeper feelings I have about it and it's gotta be a balance. So, you know, I decided if I can balance these things, you know, I can be a better dad if I have some outlets for myself sometimes. Um, but it's definitely a balance and it's a really, it's really easy for me to want to do too much of, you know, and I feel like part of that, part of it is me being selfish. And I'm not saying that, that you or whoever you listener or whoever else out there is being selfish by playing a lot of magic, but it just feels like with me and my responsibilities, my dad responsibilities right now, it's just something I keep struggling with, you know, it's like sort of thinking about what is too much, um, you know, and I think it's easy for me to slip into probably doing it a little bit too much. Yeah. But sort of like, you know, you wrote a book on this, right? Or this part <laughs> of your book. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you're talking to someone who feels, uh, who, who continuously feels guilt. So I, I, the thing I would just say here is that it's very human to, to feel that. Right. And it's also very good in a self-aware kind of way to feel that. I, I actually think that for the most part it's the good guys who feel more guilty than the bad guys. So I think you're you're probably on the good side. <laughs> that's my that's my uh, my platitude. 
Um, but I would also ask if you've talked to other dads or other parents who may have felt like this, maybe not even with magic, but just in general, like with their own free time kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And I don't, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but it does seem like the magic dads I know out there probably have some of the similar experiences. So, you know, I've gotten some messages from some people who listen to the brainstorm show who are like, Hey man, I'm also a dad, you know, love listening to your show. I actually get like a strangely high number of those. Nice. And it tells me that like other dads are consuming podcast content kind of thing, you know, and I'm like, it makes sense to me. It's like, if we can't go and always be playing the game, you know, some maybe like a dad in a similar situation, I feel like something like a podcast is just sort of becomes perfect for your schedule. Um, so through podcasting, I'm actually able to meet a lot more of those types of people just because I feel like something like a podcast is something that a dad is more likely to do or a mom, you know, is more likely to to do. So I don't know. That's just sort of what I've gathered over the last year or so of running into people who listen to the show. Um, it's just one of the demographics, I think. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, and outside of magic, you know, I think it's definitely something that, you know, any parent will struggle with, especially people that really like activities. Like, I know a lot of parents who are just purely social people, and they can go and always be have friends around and do all these things, and their kid could be involved in all of these activities. But for people that are more focused on maybe like some of these cerebral games or maybe more introverted outlets, things like that. It's, it's harder for your two and a half year old or your child at all or anybody else to be enjoying those things with you. So I think it's always, uh, you know, I I don't use the word struggle, but it's always a balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, just trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to, how to do that. Yeah. And that's the thing with life too, is that you always look at what's going on, with other people and sometimes you think that they've got it figured out like oh you know they're able to balance their social life with you know activities that with their kids but i'm sure they have their own struggles too as we all do so absolutely i think that that's absolutely true and i think that they're probably 180 degrees on something else and i think it's just my my perception because i do know you know a lot of people who like look at me with the magic stuff and they they're like they don't do any kind of uh very specific introverted hobby like that, you know, but, but they're definitely, you know, thinking about other things or a big one is, you know, I mean, everybody can probably relate to career choice and work and stuff like that. Um, and that's a balance when you have kids, you know, I mean, do you, you know, I always joked about these two or not really joked, but just sort of pondered on these two extremes. Like I could do the perfect job for my family, which I might hate, you know, I could probably find something that makes a decent amount of money and you know i could spend some time at home but but hate i mean i think you could i could find something out there that's like that or i could do something that is totally awesome makes no money you know like has me traveling the world never get to see my family that's the extreme and yeah. i obviously don't want either of those extremes and it's like finding the middle where you know you get to have your outlet you know i i always growing up i always wanted to be a marine biologist and you know that's the the ultimate, I probably can't do what my dreams were to an extreme based on having a family. Um, but what can I do, you know, somewhere in between to, to have the outlet and also be able to be there for my, for my daughter as she grows up. Um, 
you know, and, and all that stuff. So, so do you think you found that balance now? Like, of course, it's not either of those two extremes, but do you think you found the right situation for yourself? I, I think that I'm definitely in flux, you know. I think that I'm starting to get a better understanding. I think that when I when I graduated college, I I almost had this idea that I had to do something that I didn't like doing to overcompensate for this feeling. Like I felt like in order to be a good husband and eventual dad, I had to like do this job that I hated. And I'm not saying I hate my job, but I'm saying that I like I never thought am I going to like my job? I was like, you know, I just assume people worked really hard, didn't get tons of enjoyment out of what they did. I'm sure a lot of that is just, you know, cultural values growing up, all that stuff, people that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, the process is learning that I can I can be a good dad or, you know, I can be there for my family and also be doing things that energize me and, and are life-giving to me, so. Right. So, so it sounds like now you're going more in that in that direction, right? Yeah, and I, you know, haven't really gotten to the point yet where I can say I've solved it for myself, and I don't know if I ever will. Um, but I think, I mean, for me, it's like at least I'm asking the questions with myself now, and I think it's really making me look at some things differently, you know, introspective-wise, uh, that, that sort of change just, you know, sort of my life tra- tra- trajectory I think so mm-hmm. we'll see where it, we'll see where it takes me I think there's a lot of uh, yeah it's just been a huge year of of you know all sorts of different changes and just thinking about the future so would you say this has been one of the more challenging years for you I guess in your in your life I think last year was I think oh, that really? this year's been I think that this year's been challenging uh time-wise, but I think I'm starting to get over the hump of realizing, like, for things to sort of come together in a way that I enjoy and day out a little bit more. Yeah, I think last year was really tough because it, like, got to a point where I needed to look at things differently and didn't realize it yet. Like, so many frustrations were building up, um, but I didn't really know why. And I think once I figured out why, like, I wasn't able to solve all those things yet, but it feels a lot better about having, like, a life, a game plan moving forward, like, understanding that about myself. So, yeah, I think, I know that's all completely ambiguous and all this stuff, but I think, like, last year, you know, I started just getting really frustrated and not really realizing some reasons why about myself. I also felt, like, really trapped into some things, um, just as far as you know, my day in, day out, I felt like I had to do certain things, you know, just in work and all, all the stuff that I was doing. And I just took a step back and said, why am I operating like this? And I think just realizing that I had more power over my life, uh, really, really changed some stuff. So I know that's vague and might sound weird, but it's just sort of an introspective journey. I think. No, it's good. I think, uh, there's no need to get specific in that case because I think we all feel that, right? Sometimes it's like we're going through the motions and what does it all mean? (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Um, so I, I think I get a pretty good sense that your magic to you now feels more like, uh, a privilege or something that you really enjoy having the time to do. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 
you know, I value every tournament that I can go to. I try to make it more of a scheduled thing now. So, you know, I'll try to do like a tournament every three months or so. Um, and that still feels like a lot as far as my family and stuff goes, but it also is really good for me because it gives me something to look forward to. And when I'm doing things that are tough in work or just the day in, day in out, you know, driving on the road, all that stuff, if I can say, okay, like, you know, on January 6th, I'm going to go to GP Louisville. Uh, like, there's just something in the back of my head that is able to relax a little bit more, giving me, like, a, a personal goal, an outlet that I can reach, you know, I think is is pretty big for me to have those things planned in the future. Right. Is that the main thing that keeps you going as far as the game of Magic is concerned, is, like, kind of the, the goals and the competition, or are there other things as well? Because you touched on... A number of things, including, for example, the the Facebook chat group that you're in. Um, I, I guess if you could kind of think about it, what are the things that keep you going as a as a magic practitioner or player? Yeah, um, I love just as much as uh, when like topping event or you know winning event, which I haven't done on a large scale. I hope I can at some point hold the trophy, but as much as that. I enjoy coming up with a new deck, you know, and being the person to come up with that because it's like solving a puzzle that hasn't been solved. Um, so for me, you know, every set that's printed, every shift in the metagame, stuff like that, just the opportunity to do something different is just really exciting. Uh, and just just as much of a competitive outlet for me as actually playing in the event. So, and not because I want to be recognized for coming up with a deck, but really because I, I want to sit there and say like, man, I got it. You know, I think I solved this puzzle and look, and if I can look around and say, okay, it looks like nobody else solved this. Like, I feel like I accomplished something really cool and, and that's a good feeling for me. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, but there's all these other elements like, you know, Phil and Paul are a couple of my best friends and I talk to Phil daily about life stuff. Like, we'll... I drive on the road all the time. We'll talk on the phone a lot. Uh, we're both really strangely introverted guys, so it's like really cool to have found other people uh, to connect with mm-hmm. and be able to, you know. And as you know, I think we're my buddies are all on the same page. It's like a group of people who don't waste a lot of time talking about meaningless things, mm. and that's that's sort of like one of those maybe INTG profile things where you just can't handle small talk. Yeah. But, uh, but so like, you know, we just dive into all these cool things to talk about. And I think that that's been a good experience building that type of relationship on similar, uh, you know, similar type of values like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then meeting, I just, I feel like through some of the online communities, I've met just a lot of really cool people all over the world that play the game and that can be extremely fun. So it's just sort of fun interacting with them. Right. But, so yeah. No, that's that's awesome, and it kind of takes me to the next question because I had not realized before talking to you today that you had known Paul and 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 Phil for such a long time, right? I think Paul since uh, high school, right? You said, and he was yeah. the first super competitive Magic player you ran into. That's that's pretty awesome, and and so my, I guess my next question would be sort of take me through the origins of how you guys decided to launched a brainstorm show because like as a fellow podcaster i'm i'm <laughs> i don't know if you guys ever did an origin story or anything like that yeah. but, but i don't know if i listened to episode one maybe you guys talked about it but i'm I'm really curious like what what sort of uh led you guys to do that because it's not that easy to um 
to create valuable content, let alone legacy content. Like it's a super deep field and you guys have done it really well. So I, I, I'm wondering how you guys sort of synthesize and came up with that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, so the podcast was really all Paul's idea to begin with. And I think that he's the kind of guy that really likes a lot of the content stuff. Like he likes watching and I do too. Um, but he's a big consumer of the content, like the podcast and all those things. And, you know, we talk about decks and stuff. It was basically around, like, he started getting back into the game. He was out of the game in college when, when I was out off at Appalachian State playing with Phil and all that stuff. He actually stopped playing after high school for a while, and he has a completely different story. Um, but he, for whatever reason, just got, you know, drawn back in, and we all know people like that, and we may be, you know, you may be a person like that. But so he, kept, he got back into it, uh, realized that Legacy was cool. Some of that was me selling him on it got really into watching all the legacy stuff, started talking about a ton, and he was like, hey, let's do a podcast. And Paul's like, he's sort of a techie dude. He loves that kind of, like, he is able to sit down and, you know, edit a bunch of audio. He, like, I don't, I wouldn't say he'd actually smack me if I told you guys that he likes that because I, I think it's gotten to the point it's a little overwhelming for him to do that too much. Um, but, but he does, uh, you know, I mean, he was able to do that very quickly without having to go and learn how to do it. He basically was just able to know how to do it. Yeah. So I think for us, like it started with just me and Paul and there's a natural chemistry that we have. And Paul is a really good like mediator of conversation, just a really easy to talk to guy, very well spoken um, and really plays a great role of guiding all of the conversation. Similar to you, James. I mean, that's you're really great at that. So. So for us, we've always had chemistry in some of these types of things we did. Like I can think the one of the more closely related things I can think of is we had this sort of garage band in high school um, and it was me and Paul and one of my neighbors who was like a few years younger than us he was like this little kid <laughs> nice. and but we had a blast and my neighbor this kid had a recording studio in his basement because his dad was in a band um, so yeah it sounds like we used him maybe we did a little bit but we love Joey Joey, if somehow you're listening to this, we like you, okay? Uh, so, but yeah, so that's what we got started, and it was just really cool. I mean, we weren't, I mean, Paul's a talented musician. I don't, I just was, had no idea what I was doing, but it was, it was like really fun. I felt like we had like, it's almost like creative chemistry together, you know? Yeah. So, and if, I think that that's the most similar thing I can think of, but it sort of bled over into the podcast where it really sort of flowed well, just off of knowing each other for such a long time and everything so I think what happened after that was uh, I think the next part was my suggestion I realized that there was probably an opportunity There's, it was almost like there was a hole in some things that we could talk about mm -hmm. and there was, there was a big opportunity to have a third person providing another perspective so like it was a little bit too much of a feeling of like Paul asking a lot of questions I tried to answer the questions he brought in additional points and then Paul moved on to the next question. It was a little bit too linear. Mm -hmm. So we brought in Phil who is makes things really interesting and really is the perfect piece of the puzzle because Phil's able to talk about things from a separate perspective, you know, argue with me. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of important things that he brings to the show. So the way that it usually works out is, Paul brings stuff up. He introduces stuff. Sometimes then it flows through me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, then Phil comes up with something based off of what I said, either something that I missed, something that he's arguing with, or reiterating what I said, and it goes back to Paul. Uh, and it really creates more of a dynamic conversation, I think, having that third piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So I think so you've described it. Like, sorry, you described it, which is really just yeah. there's a kind of like ebb and flow, which I I couldn't quite put my finger on it before I before you mentioned this because like I I always felt there's some something really good going on when I listen to your episodes, and I think I can understand now. There's sort of this. Uh, riffing off of each other like with three distinct personalities and that's the key right yeah absolutely and we we all bring something unique to the table in the conversation and that's really important so like you could have three people that are all just sitting there saying three things like one thing that they all agree on and it just doesn't really sound like it's meaningful but because i think we are all viewing it everything a little bit differently we all have a different perspective yeah i mean we agree a lot on stuff um, but I think it's really important, and I, you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people where everybody relates to somebody different on the podcast, and I think that's really important if you're going to have a podcast with three co-hosts, is for it not to get too homogenous, so that like, you know, people will say, oh, Paul is just, you know, I can really, I really like Paul, I really relate to him, you know, or, you know, I mean, no one's ever said this about Phil, unfortunately. No, I'm just kidding. People. Like <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it's it's cool because everybody out there listening is is a different personality, and when you can relate to one person, you can, it's almost like you plug yourself into the conversation. Um, so, or at least that's what I think. And this, some of this is just guessing because I'm not listening to my own podcast. No, I think you're yeah. absolutely right because I just had a conversation with a friend this this week about not not your podcast, but another podcast that I, I won't mention specifics that he used to listen to. And he says the reason why he listen, doesn't listen to it anymore is because this guy who's on the show that he used to really ident- identify with, that guy's not interesting anymore for him, or he's become less of a presence on the show. So I think, it, I think you're absolutely right that people follow sort of the, uh, a particular personality on the air. I mean, that's, that's why people listen to Howard Stern, right? Because they like Howard Stern or Joe Rogan or, or whatnot. I think it absolutely has to do with it. And if, you guys, if the three of you guys have distinct likable personalities then the chances of someone liking one of one of the three of you is pretty high so yeah it's pretty funny like so you came on our show that was the by far the hardest episode for me to do i felt like i just couldn't do it i don't know how to explain it it was just way out of my comfort zone but not because of you james you're awesome but just because of the nature of talking about uh, something I don't I don't really know how to describe it. I mean, it was a lot of things outside of strategy, uh, which is obviously what we're doing today. But it was more of having to ask the questions, be a facilitator. But Paul was awesome in that episode, and that's what yeah. he does. Yeah. So I noticed that too. Yeah, uh, for him. Yeah, yeah. Wait, did you just say you noticed that I sucked in that episode? <laughs> no, no. I would never <laughs> dare say that. The only thing I remember from the episode was that Paul was great at kind of guiding that conversation and that you guys took every opportunity to bash Phil because he was absent <laughs> which is which is like the two takeaways and which is why I laughed again when you said you know Phil's never when, I, I love it anyway <laughs> so no nothing against you personally I'm just saying that you guys seem to have this sort of balance between you guys and 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 it sounds like maybe when I was on the show maybe it was a little bit different because I'm not someone who's usually on the show so there's probably a level of uh, unfamiliarity if you will well, it was eye-opening. I mean, it was like because I started just thinking like, oh, this is cool. We we all can podcast super well, and I don't know why, but maybe we just – that's just something we're good at. And then that last episode, I'm like, man, 
I think I'm actually really bad at podcasting, but maybe I just like to talk about magic. So, but it was like, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was just a cool experience and I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not saying I, you know, by any means I didn't enjoy it. It was just like, I had to put myself in different shoes that I was like sort of taken by surprise. Like, Oh, this, this, this part's actually really hard. It's really what you and Paul both do, which is being like a facilitator of discussion um, with asking all sorts of different interesting questions outside the game and all sorts of stuff. So I think it's also just the the craziness or the magic of group chemistry, right? It's like it's just like any situation, whether it's work or life or podcasts. You, let's say you have two guys that work really well together, or three guys that work really well together. You throw one guy and one more guy into the mix, or you subtract one guy and add another guy. You think that it's probably fine. Maybe it's even like ten guys who do work really well. But sometimes you just throw that one new person in, and it just changes everything. And that's just the craziness of kind of a group dynamic of uh, humans, really. Right. One thing that I'll go back to, just I wanted to mention real quick, is like the the going back and forth with Phil. For whatever reason, like I just need that in my in a situation like I'm just sort of an like when I get really comfortable with friends I can get sort of abrasive not in like a not in like an obscene <laughs> way or anything yeah but I th- but I think that's like that's just most entertaining for me and I think that Phil really likes that too so you know we're always we're always jabbing at each other um and some people take that more personally and you know I completely understand that but that's why, in general, like in some of these magic chats and stuff I'm involved with, I end up getting along with people who can who can like be abrasive and be abrasive back to me and right. just sort of like joke around. I think I I don't know. I'm really entertained by that personally. So, ideally, you want to be friends with people who can take as well as they can give. You know, in terms of the jabs and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, on the lines of the podcast, you guys have done it for a while, and and. Uh, I mean, what's the what's been the biggest learning for you through working on the podcast? Um, I I mean, the podcast itself has made me think about some interesting topics in magic, which is pretty cool. But yeah, absolutely. That's a hard question. Is like, what have I learned the most, or something? I've just learned a lot of different things. Um, it's been hard to for everyone to sort of get together and do it. <laughs> I've I've learned how. Uh, how, how busy my friends are <laughs> so but ho- hopefully we'll be getting some more some more stuff so I mean I don't I'm not even saying hopefully like we've already recorded an episode two nights ago so that it's coming back basically awesome. um, and we ran into this last year too where you know we were down for a few months and then we we came back and did like nine months of solid content or whatever and then we've been down for the last couple months and you know hopefully because of GP Louisville and everything like that we'll be able to get everything going again. Um, but yeah, I think that I, yeah, I think in general, just, it's been really interesting to realize that the way that I think about things and the way that my friends think about things are more, are unique and how everybody thinks differently about the game and solving puzzles. I think that being in my own head, I always assume that everybody's thinking the same about everything, but when going on the podcast and talking about magic, you realize like, wow everybody thinks differently about this stuff and it's really interesting so it's like some things that it goes back and forth like I've learned a lot from other people's feedback and what they think it's really opened my eyes to a lot of things um, 
people the things that people think are cool that I'll say sometimes I'm like wow I never I never thought that was cool I just thought that was I took that for granted mm-hmm. so it's sort of it's 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 both a learning and an appreciating process of you know what I need to do to get better at my analysis or what I'm like oh that's that's pretty cool that that's like maybe a positive trait that I didn't really realize was something that is cool so so yeah I think the biggest thing is just realizing the diversity of people and how people learn and think very differently. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Sounds like you guys are having a, a grand time. So Wilson, just to kind of close things, this is the part where I ask if you have any particular shout-outs or any, anything that you know we may have talked about that, or we may have not talked about or any, any people, any shout-outs, situations, teams, players, like anything, anything at all, this is your time. Oh, man. I didn't even really think about a shout out because I would have prepared something yeah, really trolly. I know. Trolly. I just put you on the spot here. <laughs> but well, no, it's it's good for you that you put me on the spot because I would have come up with some like really strange troll for a bunch of people. But in general, I'd say, uh, you know, Paul and Phil have been my reason for enjoying the game in the last couple of years as much as I have. You know, it's been a really great experience to be doing the podcast with them, um, and. You know, I don't know if my wife is going to listen to this, but I think the biggest shout out is to my wife for just allowing me to do the, this hobby and be extremely not just not allow is a bad word, but just be very supportive of it. Um, you know, and just realize you know how important. It, so, because her personality, she's so different. You know, like she doesn't have something as extreme as this that she has to be doing. Like she's got a lot of hobbies, um, but I think that she's really. Uh, you know, been very selfless and putting her putting herself in my shoes and and just being extremely supportive of it. So I think she's definitely the biggest biggest shout out for me. But yeah, so and you know, very specifically too, real quick on the side is this miracles chat has been incredibly entertaining for me. So I'll I'll give them a shout out. And there's a lot of players in there, but I don't even. It's really hard to go in and describe why it's not entertaining even because of magic. You know, it's entertaining because of like some pretty weird things that have come out of it. It's just a very entertaining group of people, <laughs> and I and I also really liked meeting a bunch of Europeans. Okay. So they're talking about this. I was talking to them about this yesterday, and it's like I don't get to talk to people all over the world all the time. I mean, I am this morning, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just some cultural differences, and I for for whatever reason, like I get a little bit energized by that. And I've been asking them all these questions about their perspectives on stuff, and it's really fun. And I really like some of like the witty people in the chat that were able to go back and forth on some on some stuff on. So yeah, big shout out to the, those dudes over there. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Miracles players are um, probably a highly uh, articulate and smart bunch, if I may say so. <laughs> well, maybe you need to meet some of these guys. You might change your mind. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am talking to someone who is extremely smart and articulate, so... Uh, Wilson, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, it's been a blast. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, thanks a ton, James. Um, I love your podcast. I really appreciate it. I feel like I've been pretty out of place. Like, you've got these, like, Hall of Famers and Jerry T and all these people on your podcast. So, I mean, I feel pretty honored that I'm a guest on your podcast. And it's it's been a really cool experience. And I love listening to your podcast. So I appreciate it, James. Let's talk again soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, James.
listening to Humans of Magic. If you have any comments or feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Humans of Magic or at James underscore HSU. Please also check out my website if you have the time. It's called writtenbyjames.com. That's writtenbyjames.com. I thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time.